So great to have you with us this morning. And uh, if you're new with us, my name's Johnny Pereira. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And uh, man, you made it on a rainy day. I always think to myself when it's raining, I'm like, man, I hope you come to church because what else are you going to do? can't go anywhere. Um, and, uh, and so I'm glad that you made it here today. If you're watching this online, maybe you're not feeling well or, or there's another circumstance that kept you away. Man, we're, we're glad that you tuned in. If you're checking us out, uh, man, I'm glad that you did that as well. Whether you're in this room or whether you're watching us online, uh, man, God has a better word for us today. Amen? Man, I hope you feel that way. I know that I do. And uh, let me just say this. Man, I'm so excited. I love that song. Uh, if you're new with us, that song was written by uh, our worship team here at Salem Chapel. And that song next Sunday will be released across all environments, all music platforms. And so that's a pretty awesome thing. Can we just celebrate that? And so uh, if you follow Salem Chapel on social media, we'll be, we'll be uh, promoting that and uh, you will have the opportunity to download that uh, next Sunday morning. If you guys are, are like, uh, man, you are late night owls, like how many of you like, you know, you stay up late, mornings are not your thing. I'm talking the nine o'clock service, probably nobody's raising their hand that you're not early morning people. I need to save that for the 11, uh, but, uh, but it will be available, uh, I think, at midnight on, on Sunday morning. So, uh, but anyway, we will have, uh, if you're like, man, I don't know how to download anything, uh, then we'll have a card for you next week to help you with that, okay? Um, so we're excited about that. First Samuel 17 is where we're going to be this morning. If you're new with us, we've been in this uh, book of First Samuel, walking through it chapter by chapter. The series is entitled, Give Us a King. And what we are doing every week is we are reminding ourselves that our king, that person that we are looking to for contentment and satisfaction, cannot be found in any person or anything outside of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're reminding ourselves in this series. And so 1 Samuel 17 is where we are. Uh, if you followed along in our reading plan, you've already read this this week. Uh, if you don't know what I'm speaking of, you can grab a reading plan at the Welcome Center uh, as you leave today. But this is, I guarantee, the most well-known passage of Scripture in the entire book of 1 Samuel. You don't even need to be a follower of Jesus Christ and you have heard the story of David and Goliath. It's been referred to in numerous ways, in numerous movies, in numerous books, even by people that don't believe that it's a reality. But what I want you to see, first of all, in this chapter is where we find ourselves, like many of the chapters that we've been, is you have Saul and the Israelite army, and you have the Philistine army, and they are at odds. Like if you're going to really say the Philistines are the arch nemesis of Israel, and here they are again, pitted at one another. But the difference is here is we find this, this scenery where we find the children of Israel on one hillside. We find the Philistines on the other hillside. And in the middle between them is a valley, and it's called the Valley of Elah. And they're at odds at one another. Uh, a few years ago, I had the privilege of going to Israel. You'll see the, uh, I left my laser pointer in my office, so, um, but I just want you to get, I'm gonna try to get out of the frame. I'm gonna flip the, 
flip the cameraman off in the sense of they're gonna be like, oh my goodness, but I want you to be able to see this. So that valley that you see on one hillside and then you see the hillside going up on the other side. This was one of the most surreal moments. Like in all of Israel was like, there it is. Like there it is. And I was just picturing my mind, the Philistines on one side, the army of Israel on the other. And in that valley there that you see is where Goliath would come every day and he would taunt the people of Israel. Goliath would stand in between the Philistines and the victory that was promised by God for the people of Israel. Every day, Goliath would stand in that valley and taunt the people of Israel and stand between the victory that God had for them. And here's what we need to understand this morning. This isn't the big idea, but I, can, I just, can I just encourage you? I'm not gonna ask you, but I wanna encourage you that you take notes this morning. Because as I was going through this chapter, I was like, man, there's so much in here. I just need to do a series on this chapter. But you know, even in that idea of where we find the people of Israel and that army and the Philistine army, and that valley, it just reminded me of this. Goliath will always stand in between you and God's plan and purpose for your life. Always. So here's the title of the message this morning. Facing your Goliaths. Facing your Goliaths. And here's the idea that I do want you to get. This is the big idea that we're just gonna unpack this morning. That you, that I will face Goliaths in our lives. It's a given. You will face Goliaths in your life. But here's the hope, here's the promise. But God promises that Goliaths can and they will fall. So whatever the Goliath is in your life today, God promises if you're a follower of Jesus Christ that Goliaths can and they will fall. So here's what I wanna do this morning. I wanna define what we mean by a Goliath. Here's what we mean this morning. Anything that stands in between you and God's plan for your life is your Goliath. Anything that stands in between you and God's plan for your life. Why do I say that? Well, in verse four, Goliath is mentioned as a champion. And that word champion is an interesting word because it literally means this, man in between. That's what that word means. So literally, the man of the between who emerged between the Philistines and the army of Israel was this man named Goliath. Which is why I said a Goliath is anything that stands in between you and God's plan for your life. Well, let me give you some characteristics of a Goliath quickly before we really spend the time this morning saying, well, how do, we, how do we face them and how will we see our Goliaths fall? But first of all, let's focus on the characteristics of a Goliath. Here's the first thing. Goliaths appear immense. They're gonna appear immense. Now, Goliath is described in these ways. It's found at the end of verse four. He's mentioned as being six cubits and a span. Now, nobody today is using measurements like that today, 
Okay, if you're like some old school carpenter or geeks out on that stuff, you'd know how long a cubit is in a span. But one cubit me measured approximately 18 inches. That was the measurement of a cubit. And one span was about nine inches. So in other words, I'm gonna save you the math because I know we're at the 9 a.m. service this morning. Goliath is nine feet, nine inches tall. So let's put up Goliath just so you can get a, 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 an idea of this. So here's Goliath, approximately nine feet, nine inches, maybe a little tall. I'm like six one, somewhere around there. So here I am, and here's Goliath. And I can tell you this, archaeologists would tell us that the time period that this was written, thousands BC, whatever it was, most people were like, you were good if you were clear in five and a half feet. But giants appear immense, just like Goliath did to the people of Israel. Here's another characteristic of a giant. Goliaths appear indestructible. You're thinking in your mind right now, What's that thing that's standing in between you and God's plan for your life? It, oh man, it is appearing immense. It is appearing indestructible this morning for you. Why do I say that? Well, his armor is described as being five shekels of bronze. In other words, that means his armor was 125 pounds. Some of you don't weigh that. 125 pounds is what his armor weighed. His weapon, he had this javelin and just the spearhead was 15 pounds. And then he had another dude who would carry around his shield. So let's just think about this. You've got a giant who's nine feet, nine inches tall. And so how tall does his shield have to be? Which is why it takes someone else to carry it around. Here's another characteristic of a Goliath. Not only do they appear immense, appear indestructible, but Goliaths can give constant intimidation. Constant intimidation. Why do I say that? Because what we find here in this chapter is that Goliath appears before the people of Israel and is constantly taunting them for 40 days. Over and over and over again. Some of you, when you were going through COVID in 2020, it felt like Groundhog Day, didn't it? Just imagine this. Every day, here comes Goliath again. What did he taunt? He, what did that involve? Well, it was defiance of who God was. He was constantly mocking Israel's God. Isn't that what Goliaths do to us? Your God's not that big. His promises aren't true. God really doesn't love you. God really can't forgive that. God's not gonna use you. And that's what they heard for 40 days, the defiance of who God was. And the other thing that Goliath attacked was he attacked their identity. He mocked. You call yourselves the people of God? He mocked their identity. Is that not what giants do in our life? Now, I don't know what you've identified as a giant this morning. Maybe it's loss. You've lost something that was precious. Maybe your giant is approval. Like you're consumed by it. You're finding yourself always doing something for others even though you don't need to do it, even though it's inconveniencing yourself to the point of, of causing your priorities to be out of whack, but you so long for that approval that's found in someone else. Maybe it's discouragement this morning. Maybe it's control, like, like you're just a control freak and when you don't have it, it drives you crazy. Maybe it's rejection, like you're so fearful of rejection that you literally compromise everything about yourself. Maybe it's an addiction this morning. 
I don't know what the giants are, but here's what I do know. They really can be boiled down to these giants. Because at the end of the day, whatever it is, can it be driven by the giant of fantasy? What I mean by that is there's just, every time you're faced with a situation that seems immense, indestructible, it's taunting you, you look for a way to escape. So fantasy is really the giant that you're wrestling with when it's all said and done. Maybe it's the giant of guilt. Behind all of that loss, behind all of that rejection, is really this guilt, this regret of what could have been, and you can't get past it. How about the giant of shame? Man, doesn't that drive us, so many of us, that giant? It seems immense, it seems indestructible, it taunts us day and night. That shame that says you're never good enough. You're never good enough. How about the, the giant of fear? These people were afraid, and rightly so. But fear to the point that it causes you to lash out and control. It causes you to, to run. It, whatever it may be, maybe it's a giant of fear or maybe it's a giant of anger. Man, inside you're such an angry person, but it's not because the pots and pans have been left out. It's not because of that person in traffic that doesn't know how to drive according to you. It's not because your boss is, is, is some tyrant. The reality is, is there's something inside of you that has tremendous bitterness that you think it should have happened a different way. And that giant is your anger, or maybe it's your sorrow. Like you just can't get out of that despair. Because in your mind, you think circumstances won't change. I don't know what your giant is this morning, but the Lord does. The Lord knows what the Goliath is. And I wanna give you hope this morning from God's word that even though you face Goliath in life, God promises that your giant can and will fall. So how do we face them? How do we see them fall? I wanna give you four ways. Here's the first way. Number one, Look at yourself and say this. Say, you are not David. Can we say that this morning? Can we say it all together? One, two, three. You are not David. Now look to the person beside you. If you don't know them, that may be a little weird. So don't do it if you don't know them. But if you know them, can you look to the person next to you and say that with me? One, two, three. You are not David. Why do I say that? Because there are so many messages, and I've heard them, and so have you, that literally get us to think that we're David. But what I want you to know this morning, right out of the gate, is this is not a man-centered story. It's not. It's not a self-centered story. Otherwise, man, what are we doing here this morning? Let's just go on Amazon and buy the tens of thousands of self-help books. You're not David, and I'm not either. By the way, we like to be David in 1 Samuel 17. We don't like to be David in 2 Samuel when he's committing adultery with Bathsheba and he's killing her husband. But we like David here, but the problem is, is whenever we set up a person to be what only Jesus can be, we're in trouble. So this morning, we gotta start out with this story and thinking, hey, I have a promise by God that my Goliath can and will fall. But we first gotta say, no, 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 we've gotta look at ourselves in the mirror and say, you're not David. 
I would like to say that there haven't been times that I've taught this message and communicated, though not maybe with those words, that you can be David, right? Oh, all you gotta do is you gotta use your sling and you gotta grab your stones and you've gotta sling them at whatever giant it is and you will see it fall and we walk out of here amped. Woo! Let's go! We have this awesome prep rally and then we leave. And like Mike Tyson said, though, you never thought you'd hear him quoted in on Sunday service. Everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. <laughs> and what I don't want us to do when we start out this morning is start off with some bumper sticker theology methodology that says you can do it. Because there's been so many times in my life that I've approached life that way and come to the sad realization that I can't. It didn't work for Saul. Saul doesn't step up to the plate as we're gonna see. He's not going to fight Goliath. It didn't work for the peop- children of Israel. This army, man, they're on the mountainside. They ain't about to go down to that valley and fight Goliath. Bribery didn't motivate them. Saul's like, hey, I'll, I'll let you marry my daughter. You'll get all the riches in the world. In fact, your family won't have to pay taxes. I'm like, sign me up. But bribery didn't work. Why? Because every one of those people in this story that were on the hillside with the Israelites knew that I can't do it in my own strength. How do you face Goliath and see them fall? Well, first of all, you gotta look at yourself and say, can you say it with me one more time? You are not David. But here's the second way. You look to Jesus and you see him as your Goliath killer. We look to Jesus and we see him as our Goliath killer. Can we jump to verse 45 in 1 Samuel 17? We're gonna kind of jump around in this story because so many of us know it so well. Verse 45, listen to what David says to Goliath. He says, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. He says, you're coming to me with all this weaponry that seems indestructible. Your size is immense. You're constantly taunting us, but here's what I'm coming with. He doesn't say, I'm coming to you with my five stones in my sling, He says, I'm coming to you with the God of angel armies. I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Listen to me. Jesus is your David. Jesus is my David. He fights the battles for us. He fights the battle for you this morning. Jesus took aim at the giant of sin. Jesus took aim at your giant this morning and the giant falls not because of you or me, but because of the work of Jesus. Can I just remind us this morning that if you've got kids in our Salem Kids Ministry, remind yourself of what they probably say to you almost every week, that Jesus is the, if you know it with me, is the hero of your story. Like we just don't 
tell them that down there so they can, we can fill up an hour and 15 minutes. It's because we want to get them to realize at an early age, you're not David. Jesus is your David. And whatever it is in your story that seems immense and seems indestructible and is constantly taunting you that Jesus is the hero of your story. He is your giant killer. And what I think is so interesting in this story that we know so, so well is that God didn't want David to experience a victory. God didn't want the people of Israel to experience a victory because they had the best armor or because David was really brave, because David defied the odds. God wanted a victory to come to simply prove this reality that one young man trusted in his Savior. And that's why the victory came. that Jesus entered your valley of Elah. He entered my valley of Elah. But if I take my eyes off of Jesus and focus on the giant that seems immense and indestructible and is constantly taunting me, I'm gonna be no different than Saul. I'm gonna be no different than the army of Israel. I'm gonna find myself dismayed and greatly afraid. But Hebrews 12, two says this. We look to who? Jesus. The author or the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He's the founder of it. It began in him. It began when he lived and died and rose again and provided eternal life. And when you placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, not in yourself but in him, he was the founder of that. He was the perfecter of that, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to focus on that word seated. Because literally what that is saying is that Jesus, he's not gonna sit down until the job is done. And the fact that he's up in heaven right now and he's seated on the throne of God, you know what that tells you and me? That he has killed your giant. And he's killed my giant. And the reality is, is even though I'm not David, that's not where the... Hope stops, the hope, the hope begins in the fact that I've got a savior who's with me through the Holy Spirit who wants to remind me every day, I'm your giant killer. How do you face your Goliaths and see them fall? Well, you gotta look at yourself and say you're not David. You gotta look to Jesus and see him as your Goliath killer. Here's the third thing. You look to Jesus and stop listening to your Goliath. Why do I say that? Well, verse 16 tells us what I just said. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. So literally, not just one time a day, twice a day. Isn't that so true of the Goliaths that we're facing? You wake up in the morning and you're slapped in the face with the immensity and the indestructibility and the constant intimidation of the Goliath. 
I found that true in my own life. It's like you're slowly waking up and then all of a sudden, as soon as you wake up, bam, it's there. And then you go to bed and you're just praying that you can go to sleep, but the reality is, is, is that Goliath, whatever it is, is constantly circling in your mind and it keeps you awake at night. I can think of the times in my life where I literally, when I was facing a Goliath in my life, and I was so afraid that I would go to bed saying, Lord, can I please, would you just allow me to sleep through the night? And just feeling so discouraged when I'd wake up in the middle of the night and that giant was there. I think the description of the children of Israel as they find themselves of being dismayed and greatly afraid can't be stated anymore. See, what I want us to understand this morning in this idea of looking to Jesus and stop listening to your Goliath is this, that what you worship determines what you hear. What I worship determines what I hear. And here's why I say that, because David's response in these verses Right, I mean, David's told by Jesse, his father, to go where his brothers are. Because by the way, Jesse's still doing the, or David's still doing the mundane. He's keeping his father's sheep. Like he's not with his brothers in the battlefield. And so Jesse tells David, David, I want you to take a charcuterie board, basically, <laughs> to your brothers. And so he takes it to their brothers, and he's, he sees them, and he gives them. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, he hears Goliath taunting his God, questioning who his God is, questioning the identity of the people of Israel. And he's like, who is this joker? But the reason why David has a different response than the army of Israel is because they've been listening to it 40 days, day and night. David, it's the first time that he heard it. David hadn't heard this voice. He hasn't listened to it. Instead, you know what he's done? Man, it's in that mundane shepherd field that the David forged his worship in the Lord. And his worship caused him to hear what Goliath was saying differently. And it caused him to respond to Goliath differently. Look at verse 26. David's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should divide the armies of the living God? What a boss statement. Who's this guy? Well, David, he is nine feet, nine inches tall. He's wearing 125 pounds of armor. Just his javelin head is 15 pounds. You see that shield that literally is casting a shadow in the Valley of Elah? But David's worship was forged while he was alone in that shepherd's field. See, here's the definition of worship. And it can apply to your worship of the Lord. It can apply to whatever you're maybe worshiping this morning. Worship is this, whatever has the focus of your attention. Simple definition, right? Whatever has the focus of your attention is what you're worshiping this morning. For the Israelite army, for Saul, man, it was the Goliath. That was it. That was the complete focus and it's why they've responded the way that they have. But for David, it was differently. And once again, we're not making much of David this morning. Are there lessons we can learn? Yes, we're unpacking them. But David's eyes were focused on his Lord. 
and he responded differently. And when the almighty God is in our view, the taunts of the enemy begin to lessen. Can I ask you a question? I want you to write this question down because it's gonna take some time maybe for you to think about. I want you to think about it this week. What voice are you listening to? What voice are you listening to? The Goliath or your giant killer? What voice is it? Because verse 11, and I've referred to it, but I want you to see it's not just something I'm saying, but it's in the text. Verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The third way you face Goliath and see them fall, oh, look to Jesus and let's stop listening to our Goliath. Here's the fourth way and it's the last way. You look to Jesus and you shout that your Goliath is dead. You shout it. You don't whisper it. You shout it. We shout so many silly things. You shout at the guy at the red light. You shout at the person in your mind that's taking too long in the register. You shout, I hope not, but let's face it, we all have. Let's just be transparent and not try to pretend like we're better than we are. We've shouted at our friends. We've shouted at our spouses. God forbid, we've shouted at our kids. But I want us to shout something more significant. I want us to shout and remind ourselves, even though we are struggling with fear this morning, even though we're like, Johnny, I know my Goliath is dead in Jesus Christ, but I'm still experiencing the effects of us. I still want us to shout, our Goliath is dead. Look at verses 51 and 52. It says, then David ran and he stood over the Philistine and he took his sword, not David's sword, but the Philistine's sword, and he drew it out of its sheath and he killed him and he cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion, the man in between, was dead, what did they do? Say it with me. Two words. They Say it one more time. They, say it one more time. They fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a what? Come on, one more time. Rose with a what? That's right. And pursued the Philistine as far as Gath. Here's what we're gonna remind ourselves this morning. Here's what we need to unpack a little bit theologically this morning, going all the way back to the first book of the Bible in Genesis. When sin entered this world, evil entered with it. Adam and Eve made that choice that God was holding back something from them. They listened to Satan, the enemy, who appeared as a snake. They disobeyed, and sin and evil and brokenness entered this world. And in the moment, it seemed as though Satan had won. 
It seemed as though Goliath had won. But then you've got this little verse tucked in between all of this tragedy. All of this sorrow, all of this shame, all of this fear, all of this guilt, all of this fantasy, all of this anger. It's this little verse in Genesis 3.15 where God says this, I will cause hostility between you, meaning the serpent, Satan, and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. What he's saying basically is, is there is going to come a giant killer, a savior that's gonna come from the woman's offspring and there's gonna be opposition and spiritual warfare against that. But what does he say? He, speaking of this promised one, this savior, this Messiah, this giant killer, he will strike, in other words, crush your head. Tucked in between all of that tragedy is this hope that someone is coming who can do what you can't do, who can do what I can't do. And so when we see the story of Jesus on the cross for you and for me, what that is communicates to us this morning and takes it from a Bible story to hope is that Satan was defeated on that cross. Your giants were defeated on that cross. The battle was over. The Goliaths have been vanquished by Jesus Christ. Listen to Colossians 2.14. He, Jesus, canceled the record of the charges against us. The stuff that has you feeling shame and guilt this morning. And he took it away and he nailed it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authority. He disarmed the Goliaths. And he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. That's why we say this morning and why I've said it and it's not new with me. It's been said many places that we as believers, followers of Jesus don't fight for victory. We fight from a place of victory because Jesus has already won. Now listen to me. We can sit up here this morning and we can say that our Goliaths are dead and praise God we need to remind ourselves but we also don't need to slip over the fact that even though our giants are dead, they can be deadly, can they not? Yeah. They can entrap us, they can taunt us, they can deceive us, they can discourage us. I mean, even though they're dead and they've been vanquished by Jesus Christ, they can still be deadly. Why does Why do I say that? Because 1 Peter 5, 8 uses a different analogy. Be sober, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, walks around as a proaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. John 10, 10, the enemy comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But here's the hope that I want us to end with this morning and how we fight from victory. How we take the reality that Jesus is our giant killer and we stop listening to the Goliaths and we shout that Goliath is dead is we look at the weapons that David had to fight Goliath. First of all, he had a weapon of faith. Look at verses 34 and 36. It says, but David said to Saul, this is him appearing before Saul before he faces Goliath. 
Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. See, Saul hears these rumors that there's this, there's this young, young boy who's talking smack out in the battlefield that thinks he's better than everybody else. And so Saul's like, well, who is this guy? So bring him to me. And here David stands in front of Saul and he says, well, I used to keep the sheep for his father. Not the first thing that you'd wanna say to impress somebody. I can fight Goliath. Well, what'd you do? I kept sheep. Go back home. Thanks for your charcuterie board. But look what he says. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and I delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard. I struck him, I killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. How many of you thought there was one lion and one bear that David struck down? I don't know if I got faulty Sunday school teaching back in my day, but more than one. Like this dude is a lion and bear killer. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Another boss statement. But do you see the faith that David has? I don't want you to see David, I want you to see his faith. That's what motivated him. I mean, just imagine, just imagine. Like Bill Gates walks up in here and he's like, I wanna give $10 million to everybody in here. You get a check, and you get a check, and you get a check, and you get a check. You'd be walking out thinking this is the best day ever at Salem Chapel. And he gave you that $10 million check, and you put it in your pocket, and you walked out of here, and you're on cloud nine. And you know you're struggling to pay rent, you know you're struggling to pay groceries, you know you're struggling to put gas in your car, you're like, man, I don't think we're gonna be able to pay the rent this month. I'm not sure we've, we've got enough food in our house. We're gonna have to go down to a shelter. We're gonna have to take the bus because we don't have enough gas in our car. And what would you say to that person? Or what would someone, should someone say to you? You've got a $10 million check in your pocket. You are $10 million richer than you were relatively, but if you don't cash that check, you don't get to experience the blessings of it. And we as followers of Jesus Christ have been given all things, as Peter says, that pertain to life and godliness. We've got unlimited riches spiritually in proverbially our pocket, but we've got to cash the check. We've got to exercise faith. We've got to believe that this is the word of God and that it speaks today and that we need to be in it. We've got to believe that we have the privilege to talk to our heavenly father, the same God that David talked to and served and had faith in. We've got to believe that we have the Holy Spirit who's living inside of us, who gives us the power to live this life and to be the person that doesn't fall under the giants of life. David didn't even have what we have this morning. And we've got to embrace the reality that another spiritual blessing is we have the church. We have God's community that is there to encourage us and to inspire us and to point our eyes to Jesus in off of the Goliath, but we've got to cash the check. We've got to exercise the faith. We've got to believe in his power. We've got to rest that he's enough. We've got to trust in his promises. Listen, God is always preparing you to reach the potential 
that he's planned for you. He's always preparing you. Johnny, how long are you gonna look at that giant and listen to him? And when are you gonna look to me? When are you gonna listen to me? When are you gonna declare in the middle of the night that I am greater than that giant? When are you gonna remind yourself of Philippians 1, 6, that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ? Here's the first weapon that David had, and I love that none of David's weapon were forged by human hands. He had a weapon of faith. He also had a weapon of confidence. Look at verses 40 and 46 through 48. We're almost done. It says in verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones. When I was there in Israel, I literally stopped the bus driver and I said, hey, uh, we're in the Valley of Elah. Can we actually stop by this dried up brook in Elah and pick out some five smooth stones? It'll be the cheapest like souvenir I get all two weeks. And so we did. And so I got five smooth stones in this pouch that I keep on my desk to remind myself that David's weapons weren't forged by human hands and neither are mine. It says, continues and it says, his sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistines. And look at what he says. This day, I have underlined how many times he points to the Lord. First time, this day, the Lord, look at it in your Bibles, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. The Lord will, not me. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that David is something. Doesn't say that. Get a new Bible if it does. That the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly may know, there it is, the Lord saves not with the sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's. And I love that the Holy Spirit put this in whoever wrote 1 Samuel. Many think it was Samuel himself, verse 48. And David ran quickly to the battle line to meet this Philistine. I don't know why David took five stones. I've heard all these theories. Well, David had four, or Goliath had four brothers. Maybe. I don't know why, but I don't want to deify David. So you know what I think? And don't take this as gospel. This is just my interpretation. David was like, man, if I miss, I need four more. But in that, David knew his God wouldn't miss. He had a weapon of confidence because he had a weapon of faith and he had a weapon of the sword of the spirit, which is what you and I have this morning on this side of the cross. That's the word of God. But look at verse 50. It says, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck down the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. So David ran and stood over the Philistines and took his sword and he drew it out of his sheath and he killed him and cut off his head with it. And David took, verse 54, He just didn't leave it in the battlefield. What does he do? He took the head of the Philistine and he brought it to Jerusalem. 
And let's imagine David walking on this journey. Here's this head, blood corn out, sinews all lying down on it, right? Are you grossed out yet? Here he is taking this head to Jerusalem. And then he takes his armor, Goliath's armor, and he puts it in his tent. What's the point? Why did he carry it around? Because he didn't want anyone in his army to fear this giant that the Lord killed. He wanted to remind the people of Israel, this is that giant that seemed immense, that seemed indestructible, that constantly intimidated you. This is him. But this is our God. And he also wanted to remind the Philistines that you don't stand a chance. I end with this. Don't conceal the severed head. Confess it. When the giant seems overwhelming, remind yourself that Jesus is your giant killer and say, I'm gonna confess in Jesus' name that this giant has been killed by Jesus Christ, my Savior, and it has no power over me the victory is won. Can the giants be deadly? Yes, but my Lord and Savior has given me his word. He's allowed me to pray to him and talk to him. He's given me the power of the Holy Spirit and he's given me the church, my community, to encourage me so that when others are struggling, you know what I can do with you and you can do with me? Hey, hey, Johnny, I'm gonna hold up the giant that my Jesus slain for me so that you can be encouraged, just like the people of Israel, to shout that your Goliath is dead. Psalm 62.2 says this, he, Jesus, alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, and I shall not be greatly shaken. You and I, were gonna face Goliath. But Jesus promises that your giants can and they will fall. And so here's what I wanna do this morning. I want us to respond this way. It's different than we normally do. But I believe that this passage of scripture is so fundamental to how we live our Christian lives. And so up here you see there's, there's four black buckets and inside of those black buckets is a stone, a smooth stone, a rock. And here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Because every one of you right now know what your Goliath is. You've been thinking about it the whole time I've been talking. And I want you to come forward and I want you to grab a stone, a rock, and I want you to write the name of that Goliath, and I want you to write in bigger words the name Jesus. And I know these rocks aren't huge, so you're gonna have to write small, but I want you to leave enough rooms to write in big the word Jesus, because he's our rock. He's the one who vanquished the giant. And then I want you to come and I want you to grab one of these sheets. And the giants that I mentioned this morning that are really at the root of all the giants we face in our life, they're listed here, they're defined. And then there's passages of scripture here for you to spend time meditating in and talking to the Lord about and praying that the Holy Spirit would make that personal to whatever you're facing. So when you come, I want you to grab a rock. I want you to write 
and small what that giant is and then big the name Jesus. And I want you to grab one of these sheets. And I want you to walk out of here with the hope that your giant is dead and it can and it will fall. Lord, we're here today. And Lord, we pray that whatever is going on right now in each person's mind, that your hope would pierce through that immensity, that invincibility, that intimidation of the Goliath. And Lord, that this would be a moment of worship. This would be a moment of declaration. This would be a moment where we take our stand in the mighty name of Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen. When you're ready, come down, grab a rock, take a sheet, and let's worship.